Hello, welcome to Tales from the Albright, a podcast by the Scranton Public Library. My name is Alyssa, and I work in the reference department of the Scranton Public Library. Today, we are back on our more history-oriented podcast episodes, and we will be covering coal mining underneath the Albright Memorial Library. Oh, boy. Our guest today is Jess. who is in her new role of head of IT and digital services. Thanks for having me. I wanted to do the coal mining under the Albright because I feel like it's something that you hear about every once in a while. It's never kind of like solidified. Mm -hmm. And the story behind it isn't known um, because it's actually a wild tale of a fight between the city of Scranton and the Scranton Coal Company. Oh boy. So what do you know about the coal mining? I mean, I knew that we had mines pretty much underneath every building in Scranton, and I figured that was the same for the library, Mm -hmm. predating the existence of the library on the property. Uh, But I don't know any more than that. I I figured there were mines under there, but illegal mining? I'm not surprised, but I'm looking forward to hearing the whole story. Yes. So actually, the mines don't predate the Albright. Oh. It happened while the Albright was here. Okay, never mind. Yeah, so I will go into that. So first, land ownership. In 1862, Joseph Albright purchased the property here at the corner of Washington and Vine. And when he purchased it, it didn't come with the land and mineral rights. Okay. So he just owned the surface level. And George Sanderson, who kind of owned all of Scranton. Yes. I've discovered <laughs> through yes, research. Yes, he did. Um, owned the rest of the mines underneath. Okay. That changed on June 2nd of 1873, and Joseph Albright bought the coal mineral rights from Mr. Sanderson for $500. So that's about 12000 in today's money. Mm-hmm. Okay. They obviously knew that there was coal and resources yeah. below, so that's why the price is so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when John Albright and his siblings transferred the property to the city of Scranton to build the Memorial Library. All of the mineral rights were also transferred with that document. Okay. So the coal underneath the library could only legally be mined with the approval of the city. Okay. So everything was still there. It just needed city approval for any company or group of people to take it out. Mm -hmm. So then we get to how the coal was removed. (laughs) The first report of coal possibly being removed from under the library was published on August 29th of 1919. So the article was very blatantly titled, Has Coal Been Removed from Under the Library? (laughs) So very to the point. And the Scranton Times stated in this article that they received a report that the coal had been removed, but it could not verify it because Lewis M. Smith, the engineer of Scranton's Mine and Cave Bureau, was unable to get the mining maps from the company. And during this time, a new legislation had been passed where all of the coal companies had to submit maps to the city mm-hmm. to show where they were mining and what they had removed. Yeah. But the Scranton Coal Company just hadn't. Oh. So that was a different layer. Yeah. And because of that, Lewis M. Smith had no way to know where they were mining, where they were at. Mm -hmm. Later, on September 1st of 1919, which was only two days later? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. The Scranton Coal Company admitted that they had accidentally removed the coal from under the library. 
and that was published in the Scranton Times. They also admitted to mining under the Dixon Homestead, which is right next door where the Scranton Cultural Center is today. Yeah. And that was owned by the Masons at this time Mm -hmm. already, but the homestead was still there. Okay. The Scranton Coal Company representative said that James B. Smith discovered that a strip of coal a distance of 210 feet long along Washington Avenue that was 40 feet wide and 5 feet in depth had been mined from beneath the building and that the miners had mistakenly crossed the boundary into the reserved coal area because it was a continuous vein from where they were legally mining more towards the middle of the street. Right. Smith stated that the process to fill in the void was to be started immediately. This article then goes on to mention that coal had also been mistakenly mined on the Vine Street side of the building. But that one was caught as the process was going. Okay. But the Scranton Coal Company still removed 50 feet of coal from the new county vein that runs along Vine Street. But their error was discovered and they stopped. And that was also said to be filled in with rock as soon as the error was discovered. Mm -hmm. In total, the Scranton Coal Company had removed several hundred tons of coal from underneath the property owned by the city of Scranton where the public library stood. That's not good. No. So then this turns into a massive disagreement between the coal company and the city of Scranton. On September 5th of 1919, the Scranton Coal Company backtracked and claimed that it had the right to take the coal from underneath the public library. And they wanted an investigation into the official ownership of the property before the city took legal action against them. Which, in a way, is fair to want the facts before you need to pay a whole bunch of money. Because I'm going to go into what the penalty was. Yeah. And they would have had to pay a good chunk of change to Mm -hmm. the city. Mm -hmm. So because of this, Ezra Ripple, who was the director of public works at the time, R.S. Hoach, who was a city solicitor, and James B. Smith traveled to Luzerne County to obtain the deeds for both properties along Washington Ave. So it included here and then the Dixon Homestead. Okay. And they had to go to Luzerne County because at the time the land was purchased, we were still in Luzerne County. It was before the split. Right. So they held all of the deeds, and they still do. And they are digitized through Luzerne County, too. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yes. And then after the Albrights bought the property, then the records start showing up in Lackawanna County. Okay. At this time, local organizations such as the Scranton Surface Protective Association started to ascend city council meetings to declare that action needed to be taken right away. The results of the investigation were published on September 19th of 1919. And the search revealed that the city was correct, that the city of Scranton and the Masons held executive rights to the coal underneath the property, and that the Scranton Coal Company was an error. Theft of coal at this time was a misdemeanor offense. So on an individual level, this meant a person that was found responsible for stealing coal could be sentenced to a year in prison or a $1,000 fine. The law stated that a person or corporation shall be liable to pay the owner double the value of said coal, iron, or other mineral so mined, dug out, or removed. I believe later on I have what 
they actually wanted in damages. Yeah. Um, but it was a lot for the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. On September 30th, the Scranton Times published an article that really highlights the tension between the Scranton Coal Company and the city over all of us. Mm-hmm. It reads, The Times... It has been stated time and time that the Scranton Coal Company stole coal from under the Albright Library property. That is not true. We never took a pound of coal from the library property, W.L. Allen, the general manager of the Scranton Coal Company, said. Then he hung up the receiver of his telephone. The Times stories relative to the taking of coal from the Albright Library were that the coal was taken from under the street to the car tracks under the sidewalk, which coal is reserved by the library. This statement has been absolutely verified by the city's mining engineer. So it turns into the Scranton Coal Company fighting both the city and the Scranton Times, who's reporting on everything. The next article appears in October 25th of 1919 in the Scranton Republican. It reported that the Scranton Coal Company stopped all mining in the new county vein. On November 13th, the Scranton Times reported that the council was continuing to push for legal action, but J.E. Burr, who was the counsel for the Scranton Coal Company, wanted to consult with officials that were located in New York City before moving forward. And then after that, there really wasn't anything for a good while. Then on June 8th of 1920, the Scranton Times reported that the city of Scranton wanted triple damages amounting to $2,893.20. Very specific. Yeah. And that represented three times the value of the mineral and a court decree directing that the company pack the void created by its removal as a result of the alleged theft of approximately 965 tons of coal from beneath the Albright Memorial Library building. So this seems to indicate that the void wasn't filled, Mm -hmm. and there's no mention of if it officially was at this time or not. So it's a bit confusing. So the city of Scranton also alleged that the Scranton Coal Company knew that the coal that they were mining belonged to the city and that the coal was worth $1 per ton. They also expressed a fear that the void left by the mining would cause extreme peril, danger, and menace to the property and the public buildings thereon, as well as to the persons working in said building and hundreds of persons visiting said building. Which means the library. Yeah. So they were concerned about the structure of the library, the patrons of the library, and the people who worked here. Yeah. Which is valid. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure they were concerned as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, to potentially know that something could collapse right down because, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, you figure even today we have issues with mine subsidence. Exactly. And structural damage due to it. Yeah. So the Scranton Coal Company decided that they were going to resume working in the new county vein, and this was evidenced in a report by the Scranton Republican on July 1st of 1920. On this date, it was reported that mine blasts were heard during commencement exercises at Central High School, which is current-day Lackawanna College, which is right across the street Mm -hmm. from here at the library. And during this time, the library matter with filling the void in suing of the Scranton Coal Company for taking the coal was put on hold as more pressing matters regarding the structural integrity of schools and homes 
as a result of mining too close to the surface took precedence over everything. And so those lawsuits are all over the newspapers at this time, and it was pretty quiet about the coal under the library. On August 4th, the Scranton Times published another article that said the Scranton Coal Company once again asserted that the city of Scranton did not own the coal under the library and demanded proof once more before they would be willing to pay, even though all of this had already been covered. Yeah. So I don't know what was going on there, but that's how it was. <laughs> then another setback in the case came in September of 1926. It seems like they were in court at this time, but William L. Allen, who was the general manager of the Scranton Coal Company, was too ill to appear in court because he had an operation in July of 1920 that resulted in complications. So he just physically could not get there. Because of that, Judge E.C. Newcomb, who was presiding over the case, granted continuance until the next session of court. Unfortunately, though, this was the last article I could find that referenced the case, and William L. Allen would live until 1924, and was mentioned several times in the papers in relation to other cases, but I can't say what happened as a result of everything. So it's still a mystery. It's a mystery. (laughs) It's a mystery whether the city got paid and whether it actually got filled in. With filling in of the mines... I can say that they were, because in 1967, there were a lot of flushing projects, which is when, like, comb dumps are used to fill in mine voids Mm -hmm. for the city of Scranton to provide structural integrity to a lot of areas, and the Albright Library was one of the locations covered by that. Okay. So, I'm going to say everything's filled in, and we're good forever. Okay, good. Here. But I don't know if the city ever got paid Mm. for the coal. I don't know if the Masons ever got paid for the coal. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. And that's kind of where it stands today. My gosh. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, so there was definitely coal mining underneath. Yeah. And it definitely caused a lot of issues. And it was a more fascinating story than I ever expected. Well, yeah, especially because, I mean, they literally showed the deed and they still didn't get paid. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, they might have. I don't. We don't know. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know. So, do you have anything that you want to comment on? Well, um, I'm happy to hear you you think it was filled in. Yeah. (laughs) But it, it, so you're you're jumping, though, from 26 to 67. Mm -hmm. So... There's still a good chunk of time that we don't know whether it was filled in and people were in here <laughs> during that time. So yes, and I know that the Nancy K. Holmes Branch Library also had coal mining underneath. Yeah, and that was also definitely filled in. But I feel like that's kind of just the story of this area with all of the coal mining that took place. Yeah in the 1900s and before yeah well that concludes our episode on illegal coal mining beneath the albright memorial library if you have any questions concerns or anything at all please email me at aloney at albright.org that is a-l-o-n-e-y at albright.org or call the library at 570-348-3000 thank you